I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sneaker Salaries. Today, we're joined by Evan Belforti. He is a footwear designer for Reebok, working particularly with the fashion and collaborations team. Evan, it's good to have you on the show, man. Yeah, it's good to be here. So, Evan, you know, let's get into some of your history, right? You obviously work at Reebok now. You've been there for a little bit and done some pretty amazing work. Uh, we're, we're very impressed by. Uh, but let's start with your origin story. Where are you from? Kind of give us a little bit of background. Yeah, so I grew up in Massachusetts in the suburbs outside of Boston. I guess kind of my whole life I wanted to go into some form of art or design. My uncle was a sculptor and architect, um, and that kind of created a pathway for me. And then, um, you know, I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I majored in industrial design. And from there, I kind of found my way to footwear. So can you talk a little bit about RISD? I know that that name is, uh, it's like, it's a hallowed name in the world of uh, art education. Can you talk a little bit about your experience there? It's weird. You know, you go to this kind of prestigious school and you have these expectations. But I think the biggest thing for me was my peers and kind of, you know, meeting all these people that had similar interests. And I think you can really find that anywhere. But um, that and the uh, and the work ethic they kind of require there, you know, from day one, they're putting you through boot camp. So you learn quick how to sleep very few hours and work a lot. Designing footwear is kind of this sexy profession. A lot of kids are like, oh, I just want to design shoes. And it seems like it's really cool, but there is a lot of labor that goes into that. Can you talk about, did you dream of becoming a footwear designer or how did that come about for you? Yeah. So um, I did not dream of becoming a footwear designer. I think when I was really young, I wanted to go into illustration. I was really into like science fiction and fantasy. And I think that still plays a role right now in a lot of my work. Um, And then for a little while, I thought I wanted to do architecture because my uncle and then sculpture. And um, by the time I got to RISD, I was thinking of doing automotive when I entered into the industrial design major. Um, But it's so broad, the major, that you really have to learn how to use design as a problem solving tool. And because of that, it was just I kind of fell in love with just that, you know, And, and where I ended up was more specific to my senior year, actually. So how did that transition specifically happen going from, you know, automotive into footwear? And how how is that, um, for maybe people who don't understand, but how seamless was that for you, that transition? So my senior year, I, I took this footwear course where I was making traditional footwear and I made my first pair of sneakers. And the design process felt very similar to me where you're you know, you're iterating on these objects that are kind of obscure. The biggest difference I would say between footwear and automotive is the asymmetry when you're doing external design for these shoes. But in terms of, I guess, designing the outside of a car, it feels very similar to designing the outside of a shoe. I think the functional aspects are obviously different. But um, yeah, once I had my first pair of shoes in my hand that I made by hand, it kind of clicked for me. And um, and I also just found myself gravitating towards people that felt more comfortable in the footwear space, the apparel space, as opposed to the automotive design space. And I think my peers actually influenced a lot of of my route in that way. So can you talk a little bit about you had 
this background and were inspired by your uncle with sculpture and architecture. Uh, my brother's an architect as well. So super interesting to see his process. Can you talk about kind of how you transition into that? And then when you get a brief, I mean, we're, we're diving right into this here, but when you get a brief, <laughs> you know, you're essentially designing a home for a foot, right? That's an art. So there yeah. is some architecture and then sculpting wise, like you said, you had a handmade shoe that you would kind of sculpt it and put together. And so very much similar process, it seems mentally from getting a brief to kind of constructing this thing, but footwear, you just have a vehicle for the feet essentially. So it's, it's kind of interesting to John's point about how you have the car design and the sculpture and the architecture all kind of coming together. Uh, but now you get to do it for a billion dollar company and, and, you know, at the highest level, let's say. So can you talk about that process of when you get a design brief and then how you just go in, how you approach that and how you go into that process? Yeah. So to tie in the architecture part, I actually did the pre-college program at RISD and tried architecture and just felt that it was too constraining. It felt that if you were going to do something really creative, it would end up being, you know, there have been designers like Zaha Hadid that have kind of stretched past that. But growing up, I was looking at like Frank Gehry and like a lot of his buildings cost more to maintain than they did to build. And so there was never a link to me, and obviously that's with very little architecture education, um, between efficiency, functionality, and having all the creative freedom in the world. So I think that's why I moved into industrial. Just this idea of creating products felt more, I could express myself a little more. Um, and so in terms of referencing uh, sculpture and taking on a design brief and taking all these references from my past, I think when I get a brief, I really try and craft a narrative. And I think I learned that from, I mean, I learned that from everything, right? I mean, everything's kind of a story in a way. And with my uncle, with his sculptures, I mean, they're all, they're very narrative based. And I think that played a big role, but breaking into the design brief, when I get a brief, I usually try and you know, it depends on the shoe, obviously, or the brief or what it is. But usually me and my product marketer uh, craft the brief ourselves. And we we try to focus on um, it starts by focusing on on niche active. I guess you could call them active activities like not necessarily sports, but things that require sneakers that are have like deep set subcultures and then kind of expanding on that and and using it as a vehicle to create this story that investigates that, ties it into Reebok, and then lets me and him kind of use our creative freedom to create this weird fictional aspect that may not like exist in this world, if that makes sense. I mean, I think like the, the, the active activity thing that you're pointing out, I mean, the truth is most people wear sneakers not to play sports. They wear it yeah. casually, right? And I think like even if you if you live in New York City or like a major city and you commute to work, like that's a sport. Like you gotta like yeah. jump around sidewalks and piles of shit on the floor and you know climb upstairs and avoid the bums. Like it's a sport. It's my cardio. You know what I mean? So I think it's important that of course the big major brands, you know, make shoes for sport. But you know, let's be real, like I think like eighty percent of all footwear purchased from these major brands are worn with like, you know, jeans and cargo pants or yeah. sweats or whatever, you know. So I think uh that idea of like kind of solving that problem where it's like, okay, what's what's the issue that needs to be solved and how how do we go about it from a, like a design standpoint? I think that's kind of like the what separates you know the civilian from like a designer. So what are some things that you as a designer 
can say that you can see that maybe like the regular civilian doesn't see or like the sneaker fan. I think you bring up such a great point where like all of these sneakers that have, you know, these functionalities where the ceiling is way higher than what the use is, right? So with that, I I mean, it's an interesting aspect of footwear because when you approach function, the amount of that function that's going to be used is probably minimal. Um, And I think that's why all of the function I try to put into footwear is so narrative focused, where it's like, you don't need this, you know, like in the same way you don't need your shoe to like weigh X amount of pounds because you're probably just going to wear it casually. But um, when you interact with it, it it tells you this story. Um, I think like a good example of something niche we did was the Hydrex where when you put it on, you feel like you're putting on like this obscure scuba boot um, and then you go in the city and you're, you know, jump in, dodging, whatever you're doing, or maybe you're just chilling out. But, um, you know, that came from looking at like surf shoes and scuba equipment and all these other weird things and just taking these kind of functional things that we don't necessarily need, but we can use to tell this story. You know, you talked about the narrative. You talk about some of the things that inspired you, right? The things that came together, your love of fantasy stuff, your love of kind of some of this conceptual stuff. I mean, you can see it in your work that there is just a whole different level of thinking to John's point. And it is not like your average Joe and honestly, your average sneaker designer. You know, John and I have been around this for our whole adult life and even as kids loving sneakers. And you're putting out some stuff that we've never even seen before. You know, can you talk about your kind of your love of this fantasy world and how you took some of these wild concepts and not only brought them to life, but even got approval, right? Because you're working at a corporate company that oftentimes doesn't let stuff like this fly. And we've really seen this. I mean, it's why we're sitting here on the podcast today. Um, you know, you've caught our eye in a way that we haven't really seen from some of these brands that are usually very corporate. So can you talk about that process and kind of how you've fought that battle and broken through? Yeah. So I think, again, I'll go back to the people around me is really the biggest part of that, where I work on a really small team. Um, it's me. It's a developer, it's two product managers, and our director. And uh, our director, Anastasia, started the fashion special projects section, like I think about six years ago. And, you know, from day one, it was a fight for her. So I think what ends up happening is we either sneak stuff by in a way and get it to a point where uh, people see it and they're like, okay, yeah. Okay. Or it comes from the top and it's like, you need to do something on this bottom and you can have X amount of freedom because it will halo into other product. So I think that's been a big part of us getting by other things. And, uh, and also the way we utilize, and this doesn't even come from me, this is, you know, strategy coming from our PMs and stuff, the way we utilize collaborators to, um, to kind of be the first face of a shoe gives us an opportunity to add a little extra narrative there and then expose the shoe later on. So like Kottweiler with uh, the Zig 3D Storm or Kangyuk with the um, with the Premier Road Modern. Um, and I think we end up getting away with it because we pair it with them, we bring it in line and we try to help the company. And we really do like look to the archive as much as we can and then go into this crazy science fiction fantasy world that that we can cover up with <laughs> with Reebok references, you know? 
<laughs> they're not cover up, but we can we can meld them, you know? It's pretty interesting that you bring up the archive because when you think about footwear archives across all the brands, like Reebok has one of the deepest archives, right? They really do. They've been around for such a long time. They've been killing and running basketball, cross-training and all this stuff. And that combined with what's kind of needed today, which is like fashion, you know, a lot of uh, new new silhouettes, whether it be from Reebok, Nike, Adidas, whatever, it's really important who they collaborate with in the beginning. That's almost kind of like setting the tone, setting that standard, you know. And um, you bring up the Road Modern, which was uh, very, very highly praised across all publications. I mean, we at Sneaker News named it one of the top 10 shoes of 2020. Can you talk a little bit about that particular shoe, that project, um, some of the pitfalls, some of the wins, and some of the things that you learned from that? Because to me, that shoe was like a really big win for you personally, it seems like. And, uh, you know, what sort of, uh, I guess you could say, you know, building blocks did you kind of pull out from that project in order to kind of build your career moving forward? For that one, it started with... um it actually started, it probably started the, not the idea of it, but referencing Premiere has been something that my coworker, Ryan Forsyth, had been saying uh, for like three years. Like the my first day at Reebok, like he was already talking about bringing back these 2000 sneakers. Um, so I think we did it with Vetmonts, right, where we had the exact bring back of the shoe that already existed forever ago. And it did pretty well. And I think that gave us a little leeway to kind of do our own thing. But um, yeah, it was really just, it was a lot of, from there, it was a lot of like dissecting um, and breaking to the archive. And just, it was cool because it was like, I'm a very nerdy kind of person in in an area that is very separate from footwear. Like, I like like fantasy, science fiction, I like films and books and all this stuff. And these guys who made this premiere line were very nerdy, very deep into the sneaker culture, nerdy, like putting as much tech, like piling as much tech as they could into these shoes. And so it was so cool to see not just how they were doing that, but how they were using these design lines to, to emphasize these very small details that came out and like hit you in the face. Um, so the, the goal was really to take some of the biggest things we, or the design lines we found, um, celebrate the silhouette and kind of make something that felt modern and sleek and new, but still celebrated this chunky, maximalist, nerdy, like aesthetic that came out of like 2000s running. Well, and, and how do you continue that success, right? One thing we've realized over the years, we meet a lot of people at brands, we talk to them. Oftentimes, you don't even know how successful a shoe will be until it's on the market, and you mm-hmm. kind of got your fingers crossed, and you're going, okay, we're going to put this this thing out that we kind of spent all these years and hours on, and it finally tanks or does really well. So a lot of stuff you guys have done has picked up some momentum. Like you said, it's done well in the marketplace. So how do you, do you wait kind of in anticipation and kind of, what does that feel like? And then once you feel that success or failure, those internal conversations happen. And then how do you duplicate that and kind of keep pushing? Yeah, you definitely feel it. Uh, (laughs) I think when Premiere was coming out, you know, making a shoe like that is difficult. The process took a lot longer. It came out probably almost a full year after we had expected it to because of uh, different variables that kind of popped up. So 
when it finally dropped, there were, you know, there had been some miscommunications with the market and there had been some uh, required color changes. And, you know, we were really shuffling to make sure it was as good as it could be. Um, but there were some variables against us. And so to see it come out and sell out everywhere for the Premier Modern, I mean, it's a really good feeling to be like, it's not so much... It sounds kind of immature, but it's like, I told you so, kind of like, <laughs> like you guys didn't really want to listen to me or listen to us, listen to our team. Um, not that that was coming necessarily internally, but I think at first some of the markets were pretty hesitant. And I think, um, and I think the fact that it sold out is really good for future colorways and future versions. Um, if we do other iterations or anything like that for that shoe specifically. I like the... I told you so moment and it is not immature. I mean, we've seen this, John and I have been obsessed with sneakers since we were kids. And you even think about something as crazy as the kamikaze back in the day, you know, which was mm -hmm. just a wild design. And, and, you know, up to that point, it was the Reebok pump and it was just a lot of these like straightforward Nike Air Force One and Terminators and just very straightforward shoes. And then into the nineties, mid nineties footwear got crazy. And, and as we've seen over the last two decades or even 25 years, things have gotten really crazy. Can you talk about the then the belief that shifts, right? Once you have that success, then I feel like from a corporate standpoint, they actually come to you guys and say, holy shit, this was actually amazing. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And they kind of <laughs> maybe put a little bit. So what shifted internally and, and how did you get more resources or more belief or just more maybe less stress? Or can you talk about that transition? Um, yeah. So I think, you know, with the success of that shoe, we definitely got a little more I guess it wouldn't be so much described as necessarily support because I think internally we were always supported. It was just how many people were going to look at it and question it. And I think now there's just a little more trust where we just have more space, I guess you could say, um, more space to kind of just do what we want to do and have them kind of look to us and be like, okay, you guys know what you're doing. We'll let you do you, you know? And um, that also came with um, a new, my new manager, actually, um, who isn't on our team, but he is new to Reebok um, by the name of Brian Chaffee. And he has been really great about um, kind of creating this, almost playing defense for the designers in a way, um, where he creates a really good space for kind of the people he feels should have that space to have it. So, yeah. I think what's uh what's really interesting about when you speak specifically about the road modern was just like the time it took from you know the end of the design to it actually hitting market and i think that's one thing that's still to this day a lot of consumers don't really understand that when a shoe hits the market it was probably finished long time ago maybe at least 12 months ago 18 months because 18 months is 12 18 months is like the generally the accepted time for a finished product to hit the market you as a designer, I'm sure you see you bring in a lot of external inspiration. You know, trends are also very important, especially when it comes to like fashion and collaborations. Like how like what sort of challenges does that present to you and how do you how do you and your team battle that? Because something you something you design now maybe, you know, not hot in eighteen months, you know. So how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think it comes down to um I think there's an advantage to having a, a vast knowledge of, of footwear and what's out and what's popping and what's not. Um, I think what helps us is I don't necessarily have 
that knowledge, I kind of keep myself out of it a little bit. And I think the PM I work closest with, Ryan, has a very niche um, aesthetic as well. So a lot of the things people think are really cool, sometimes we see it and we're like, uh, we're good, you know, like we're all right. Um, so I think just kind of coming from a perspective that isn't so intertwined with the rest of the world of footwear is helpful as much as you can, because obviously we're all in a bubble, you know what I mean? Um, and you see that all the time with like people thinking someone copied someone else. And the reality is these two footwear designers both started this two years ago and had no idea each other were working on these projects. Um, and it's just, that's the bubble, you know? Can you talk to the culture at Reebok in that sense, right? Because we, I've spent time at Reebok, I have friends at Reebok and man, it's like, it's like footwear companies are in a bubble, right? I mean, of course we, we don't live in a bubble cause we can report on all of the sneaker mm-hmm. companies and all the sneakers, but man, I, there's, there's guys that are really entrenched in sneakers. I've talked to that know everything that's going on in the industry. And then there's designers that are off in their own corner doing their own thing, which I do think is where the creativity and the innovation comes from. But can you talk about kind of the culture at Reebok? It's shifted. Obviously it, you guys move buildings. Um, you know, it used to be, it was number one or number two in the eighties. Right. And it has shifted. So can you talk about the evolution of Reebok and kind of where you guys are now and maybe where you see you guys going in the next few years? Yeah, I think, um, where we are now is a pretty solid spot. I would say, um, given our small size, of course, but comparatively, uh, but I think, you know, with a lot of recent transitions, um, towards the vector from the, um, from the Delta logo, which was the one that a lot of people associated with like CrossFit and stuff. Um, I think more and more it's become a space where everyone is being heard at least more than in the past. And I think that's really good. Um, I think we're moving in a direction where designers are being listened to and PMs are working directly with designers rather than kind of creating a brief based on a market and trying to get sales. Um, And I think that's, awesome. I I mean, most of the designers and PMs at Reebok are like good friends and work really closely together. And I think that's a big part of creating something special is, is being able to meld the knowledge of the market with the knowledge of design and aesthetic and, and take all those things and create something that, that fills both needs. Right. Cause you do have to, maybe I don't, maybe my team doesn't have to, but you do have to sell shoes. Um, yeah. Sure. Well, and on that front, can you kind of touch on that? Because one thing, you know, I've become friends with a lot of sneaker designers over the years and one of their frustrations or maybe pain points is the marketing team and and how the marketing team either releases the sneaker or even chooses the colorways at times, right? So can you talk about your relationship, you and your team's relationship with marketing and then how you see those products out into the world? You guys have actually done a great job dropping some of the stuff you've done and obviously helps with collaborators. But can you talk about that process and and kind of give some insight into that world? You know, with our stuff, we try and let it happen a little more organically where most of our marketing comes out of us or it comes out of like a seating pair. Like a good example is the Margella shoe that like Kim K posted is like, we don't tend to do um, these big shoots. I think if we had more resources, we probably would. Um, but I think we, you know, 
my team, we, we make do with what we have. And, um, and whether that's, you know, posting a, a day early on Instagram or, or hyping it up that way, or telling the story. I mean, I think I, myself, my PMs, you know, our director, we all, whenever we share anything, we share like the full story. We want to give everyone everything. And then, you know, another great thing is we have a developer who like really believes in the product a lot. And because of that, she's another line of defense where sometimes maybe someone wants to like change a color or something like that. And she's like, nope, sorry, we can't do that. Like, and she's got some leverage behind her because she can she can use the factory. Um, not that she uses it incorrectly, but she believes in our product and it and it it's very helpful, you know. Speaking on marketing for a second though, let's be real. Like if the streets are talking about it, then you don't need marketing. Like that's your marketing, yeah. right? If people are talking about it, then you don't need the shoots, you don't need all that. You got your consumers doing it for you. They're regramming uh, that same photo that whoever posted saying, yo, I need these. When can I cop? And the good thing about that is that, okay, you have these people lined up ready to buy that shoe. But in that, you know, that quick hit hype of where people, some products just catch fire, like the story behind it sometimes get lost, right? Mm-hmm. People don't sometimes don't care about, oh, well, that, that references this shoe and that's a nod to that detail. You as a designer, I'm sure you find that like frustrating at times, but does that kind of disappear when you know that the shoe is going to be like a hit? You know, I would, I, I always care more that, uh, that people understand it more than that they like it because I think it's a reflection on the work we did, um, and how concise it is. But I do understand that in general, people, people can be derivative in a way. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's just the way it is, you know, it's, it's just the way it is sometimes. But um, yeah, I mean, if I had a preference, I would rather people hate the shoe and are like, whoa, this is a reference to this, this and this. Like, that's cooler to me. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge battle between like the design and the marketing team. I think every brand struggles with that, of course, as you know, designers want their stories and their ideas to kind of like be, you know, heard, I guess you could say. You know, and yeah. I think um, that's pretty interesting that you, know, you have that very unique point of view because when we spoke before you know you don't really come from like a sneakerhead background you're like a firm design background do you think that's contributed to how quickly your career has grown because you don't you're only a few years out of you know RISD and now you're you know designing some of the more important shoes that Reebok's putting out right now it's tough because I think the reality is um and something I learned kind of coming out of RISD and being surrounded by all these talented kids is that this talent it kind of comes in droves you know there's a lot a lot a lot a lot of talent out there a lot of talent so it's really how you utilize it and how you use it to kind of do something new or do something that feels new and it's i think it's for my career in terms of it moving at a pretty steady pace um it's been due to me having a lot of opportunity because of other people, you know, people giving me opportunity before I even knew that I could do something and just kind of not trying to bite anything I see. I think everything I do, even if someone tries to compare it to something else um, and to come back to like your, like people being derivative question, um, even when they try to compare it to something else, I know that that's not where it came from or I never will, will pull something from something else. I mean, Usually when I see things I like, I'm like, damn, I wish I did that first, but I didn't. So I can't touch it. 
You know what I mean? That's kind of like one of the unwritten rules in design, right? Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, a lot of people, yeah, it should it sh- it should be. <laughs> Can you briefly talk about uh, two things? I think there's a lot of people listening right now that uh, would love to design sneakers and and maybe even get into sneakers, right? Because some some people just have the dream to design. You kind of went into it. You had architecture, you had sculpture on your mind, and then uh, automotive. But then it it evolved here. Can you talk about like maybe just a couple of the other than the hard work and maybe being surrounded by great talent at RISD? Can you talk about a couple of the principles that you learned there that have really driven you? And then also some advice for people maybe trying to get into the sneaker world or, you know, after all, this is sneaker salaries, trying to give people advice on how to make it in the sneaker world. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I learned at RISD and this came from everything was um, broadening your your toolbox in a way you know learn everything you can and learn every process you can learn how to make everything you can and not just focus in on what you think you want to do because what you think you want to do can change in an instant and I think I've used more tools that I've pulled from projects that are so irrelevant to footwear for the stuff I do for footwear um, than I even do for pulling stuff from actually making a pair of shoes. In terms of getting into like a footwear role, it's it's unfortunately like it's kind of heartbreaking because it's it's really is really difficult because the these companies, you know, they're they're hiring for these apprentice programs and that or some sort of weird temp job are really the only ways you can get your foot in the door and it's like 15 jobs with like 3000 applicants, um, not to discourage people. I think the best tool I had that everyone has access to has been Instagram, honestly. And really like if you can get attention on Instagram by doing something that people aren't doing, it's just the, it's like a free market, you know, it's like the only place where you don't need this degree to get the attention of these big companies. Well, it's that element of discovery. You know, I know John and myself, we're always looking on social. And I mean, just yesterday we saw an athlete posted a sneaker and it's crazy, you know, just little, little nuggets are dropped all the time. And so I think these brands are looking out for talented people. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think, so can you give us maybe advice once you got in the door, what you learned and kind of how you, I mean, you're navigating in a tough world. So maybe Mm -hmm. some advice when it comes to once you get your foot in the door. Yeah. So my position was, I was working as a welder at the time, actually, and I was just hitting them all the time with all these applications for all these jobs I was not qualified for, getting rejected for all of them. And finally, they reached out to me and they asked me to take on a temp job uh, doing materials. And so I was basically just organizing materials. But my first week, I found a mentor there. My very first week, I was like, I'm going to hunt down a footwear designer. I'm going to make them teach me stuff. I'm going to stay extra hours if I have to. I'm going to do whatever it takes um, because this is what I want to do. And I think getting to that place is tough. But once you're there, as long as you show that you want to be there, they'll do everything they can to keep you given that they have the positions available. So I actually designed my first shoe for Reebok while I was a temp in materials. Wow. Do you do you mind us asking who your mentor was that you found? Yeah, of course. Uh, it was uh, a guy named Jay Jang. He's actually, he still works for Reebok, but he works in Vietnam now. Um, so I get to see him when I go out to the factories. But yeah, he was, I mean, he was amazing. I mean, he would stay in the office with me till like 12 a.m. And just like, we just work. 
and he would he would get like the design team around to like critique my projects like these fake projects that had nothing to do with Reebok all this other stuff but um yeah him and then my boss at the time who was running materials Ashley Clark who was like if you can do all your work for me you're good do the footwear stuff I see that you want to do this you know like I think you're going to do it right so just she gave me the space to to kind of take advantage of that do you consider yourself like a sneaker designer lifer or is this like a temporary stop because i know you're just a designer that happens to be doing footwear right now like what's what's in your future i actually am working on my first apparel collection right now and on the side i'm doing some illustration stuff i'm trying to get uh I'm trying to do some freelance <laughs> illustration stuff for Magic the Gathering, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, I think my I would I would like to move to kind of apparel and footwear next. I don't think I would let go of footwear, but being able to hit a broader stroke and and tell a bigger story, I think would be would be really fun. I think you know if I were to list all the goals I have for my life, it would it would go on and on. But you know, um, the ideal like peak is like I would love to make a movie like or at least do like some form of like production design or something like that um which is like way up there but but yeah uh, i wouldn't say i'm like limiting myself by footwear but i think my next step includes footwear it's just expanding it a little bit that's great well and i think what we've learned here is well first of all you went to a very prestigious school which is which yeah. is great. But uh, one thing I learned from you talking about that was don't be afraid to shift gears. You know, in your head, you were inspired by your uncle and you had sculpture and and architecture on your mind and then automotive and then you shifted now. And then you were a temp messing around with materials, but you were always resourceful and you pushed to find a great mentor. Uh, and, and you kept working. I mean, you almost, uh, we've dealt with this in the past too with other guests where just doing the work as if you were a designer at Reebok, you know, essentially putting yourself in that seat, which is super impressive. Uh, and then I think, you know, learning from the people around you, probably at RISD, right? Those, the other people that kind of made you competitive, I'm sure the people within Reebok now also drive you and inspire you to keep working hard. And it kind of becomes what I've seen in my experience at, at footwork companies is, you know, the, the teams get together and they really are almost in this like think tank together. Um, and that's super inspiring and super interesting. Uh, and then carve your own lane. That's something we've seen you do here and it's really cool. And, you know, with your work, we, um, safe to say, we've seen you do some things that we've never seen come out of Reebok doors. Um, we're very impressed. And, and I think, you know, you pushing the envelope is something that we're, we're proud to see. And it's really cool because it not only pushes Reebok forward, but it actually pushes the entire sneaker world ahead as well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Just to add to that, I mean, like a temp position is is not too much different from like an internship, really, right? And I think yeah. whenever like a temp a temp position or an internship gets offered to anyone listening, you got to take it and use that opportunity to really like flex your muscles. You know, like they don't they didn't really need you just for that A, B, and C. Like they really said, "All right, we're gonna let you in the door. Show us D, E, and F, and let's go from there." And then from there, you know, your career has grown. It's definitely you know caught our eye, and you know we're a big fan of your work. So, so yeah, I mean everything that Jordan said, I. I I did all that. So, and we're very excited to see, you know, what, what's coming up next for you and your career, man. I appreciate it, y'all. Well, and, and any, any final words for anybody listening? I mean, what would you kind of tell your younger self? And, and obviously, uh, I'm sure your uncle and, and your family's proud as well, but any final words? Um, what would I tell my younger self? That's a good question. Um, if I were to give some like vague advice to people who just design or create or do whatever you do, like, I think the biggest thing to keep that uh, 
to keep that candle under you, to keep that, that flame under you, to keep you going is like pull everything you love from outside of whatever you're designing into whatever you're designing. Like the biggest thing that's kept me going in footwear design and, and not getting, you know, tied into monotony is, has been taking things that I love from outside of it, like taking, you know, these fantasy novels or like these science fiction movies or these video games I play or like, you know, I think restricting your expression is, is inherently going to create monotony. So, you know, just diversify it with the things you already love. Well said, well said. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing some insight. We appreciate it. I'm sure those listening appreciate it and uh, props to you on your success and, and um, you know, best of luck. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I mean, this was, this was awesome. I was very nervous coming on. So uh, I'm glad I didn't botch it, but um, no, I appreciate you guys making me feel so comfortable and, and this was awesome. Oh, thanks for coming on, man. You did a good job. So that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries, but let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B-E-E-J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a Gallery Media Group original production.